Good morning. Welcome to a great place this morning. Great to have each and every one of you. I hope you had a great week. Welcome back to Southridge. Are you ready to kick off a new series? Oh, that was weak. All right, all right. I'll let you guys have a pass. I know it's been a long week and excited to see what we're going to dive into this morning. Welcome. If you are a first-time guest, you're an honored guest. Glad to have you. And uh, hopefully you grabbed a worship guide and um, maybe a cup of coffee on your way in. But we're looking forward to a great day as we kick off a new series. I love starting a new series because it's like uh, uh, starting a new chapter, starting over, just beginning again. And I just love that, what we're going to be going through. And I can't wait to dive into this study just because it's meant so much to me. I was telling Jane, normally, you know, sometimes when it comes to a message, I really have to sometimes work really hard to just get the content, get the truth. But I said, this one kind of wrote itself. And then she was like, oh, that's great. But then I was like, yeah, but I'm kind of working on it since last, like August. So, it's been one of those that just kind of keeps working. And how many of you know, how many of you husbands know that when your wife's been marinating something, it just had us in the crock pot and it's been there for four, five, six, seven, eight hours, you know something good is going to come out of that, right? Right? Okay. There's a few husbands that were like, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand. She's sitting next to me. You know, I'm definitely hand is up. You know, got to make sure she knows. I love her cooking. Well, I hope this message is a blessing to you because it's been a help to me. We're entitling this series, Living a Better Story. And at first, that may just kind of catch you off guard just a little bit. And let me just work this thought out over the next several weeks as we study um, a really familiar Bible character. And what, what's going to be really easy for you to do is say, oh, I've heard about this character. I've grown up hearing about him. So I, I know exactly what you're going to talk about. So I can just kind of check out. And I don't want you to do that through the series. I want you to stay engaged. I want you to really stay focused on the different idiosyncrasies of this character. Because I think people that are really familiar with the life of Joseph it's really easy to miss stuff just because you're just so used to it and you're so familiar. It's like when uh, uh, husbands, maybe we've been guilty of this. You come home and your wife looks at you and she kind of says, hey, honey, how are you? And just stands there waiting. You're like, I'm fine. And then she's like, no, how are you? And then she's like hinting at her hair or her nails or something. You're like, I'm good. Like, how are you? And it's like, oh, opportunity lost. Why? Because there's something so familiar. And we kind of miss out on the fact that, hey, you got your nails done. You got your hair done. And so I don't want to do that to this great passage of scripture in Genesis chapter number 37. Because we're going to dive into this. And I'm looking forward to what God's going to speak to us. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up mostly without TV. Just how I grew up. My parents, they weren't like anti-TV. We just really didn't have a TV, didn't have cable or anything like that. And uh, so we just kind of uh, lived off of a thing called books. I don't know if any of you have heard of those. And uh, they're made out of lots of paper, lots of trees, gave their lives to make these things called books. There's usually a hard binding on each side. Some of the young people here, I've just like totally lost them. I'm sorry. I know. But uh, we grew up with these books. And uh, what would happen was every night my mom would take some time and she would read classic books. And uh, they were just awesome. And uh, some of the books she would read would be like um, uh, Toby Tyler, 10 Weeks in the Circus. Anybody ever heard of that book? Classic. Some of you are like, no, Toby Tyler. Disney tried to do a movie. wasn't quite as good. Um, what about this one? Little House on the Prairie. I- I'm sorry to admit that. Little House on the Prairie. A few of you? Yes. Uh-huh. There we go. There's like seven, eight books. So it took a couple years to get through that series. All right. Uh, what about this one? My Side of the Mountain. Anybody heard of that book? Hmm, a little bit less, a little bit less. That's a newer book, too. That's a great book. And uh, what about Robinson Crusoe? Come on, how many book reports have people done? Robinson Crusoe saved you on the book report, okay? So it's just awesome. There's all these books. And so we would go through those. Here's the amazing thing. Your imagination just kicks in as somebody's just reading this book. And then they come out with a movie, and you're watching the movie, and you're just like, 
I think I could just kind of imagined it a little bit better than the movie actually made it. How many of you, you would rather watch a story than read a story? You'd rather watch a story. Okay, if you'd rather watch. Okay, a couple honest people. How many of you, you're like, no, no, no. I would rather read a story. Oh, there we go. You'd rather read a story. Okay, so we kind of know who's who in this room. Okay, we know who the intelligent ones, and we know the ones who just want to stuff sugar into their mouth and just kind of zone out as they watch a movie. Okay, we just, we know who we're working with this morning. All right, excellent. I think too often we look at our lives as a not a very good story. We look at our lives as somewhat monotonous, somewhat mundane, somewhat routine, and we kind of forget the fact that we are living a great story. And the story for you may not necessarily be that, hey, a guy pursues girl, gets the girl, slays the dragon, and goes back to the castle. For you, the dragon may be your boss. But I mean, you know, you just got these different things where you look at your life and you're thinking, you know what, my life just isn't that great of a story. And I want to help us through this series to look at our lives differently as a beautiful story, as a wonderful story, a story that one day we're going to tell, a story that one day people are going to talk about. And so through this series, we want to just kind of develop what kind of story am I telling? Is a story that, that I'm kind of deceitful, is that the story I'm telling? Is the story that I'm telling the one that I can never be on time for anything, is that the story I'm telling? Is the story that I'm telling the story that I cheated on my spouse? Is that the story that I want to be told? Is the story that I want to be told that I was a great husband and a great provider? Is that the story we want to tell? Because every day we're writing a page in our story. And every year is a chapter. And every day we add to this story. And I think too often, no matter what our age, no matter where we find ourselves, some of us have to look deep and we have to really do some soul searching and ask ourselves, what is my story? What am I writing? For some of us in this room, we're like, I'm not really doing anything. I really haven't uh, found a major in college. I'm not really sure what the career move is. And so our story is just kind of all over the place. We haven't even figured that part out yet. And so as we look at this character of Joseph, I'm hoping to kind of really bring together how are we to live a better story. And if you have your Bibles, you'd go to Genesis chapter 37. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. But can we stand out of respect for the word of God? And uh, we'll look at a few verses together as we dive into this new series. Verse number one of chapter 37, the Bible says this, And Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. And it's interesting, let me just stop for a second. Um, Joseph, as Scripture is going to point out, is not the oldest He's actually one of the younger, but the very fact that Scripture mentions him first, or here is Jacob talking about him first, just kind of leads things into perspective where you don't mention the younger one first. It's just kind of interesting that here he's mentioned first. And so Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding his father's flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah. Now, this is a messed up family, okay? Those are uh, Joseph's father's concubines, okay? That's, that's who those two are, and they had children, and so that's who Joseph is with, and then it also says his father's wives. That's um, Rachel and Leah were sisters, and so Joseph's mom was Rachel. Rachel had passed away, and so this is Leah's sons, Leah's sons, and uh, so she's, he's with all those children, okay? And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, I won't go into a lot of detail, but if you want to go and study out the previous chapters, you can see the sons of Jacob did some pretty 
bad things. There was an entire village that they slew everybody in the village, and uh, they're just done other things. And so you can see where uh, Joseph here could easily find some things negative about his brothers, stepbrothers. Verse number three, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. How many of us parents would say that's never a good idea to have favorites or to play favorites? Um, uh, Cared about Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto Joseph. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him yet the more. He said, why would his brothers hate him? Because he had a dream. You know, this is a good thing to have a dream. Well, let's read what this dream was. Verse number seven, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright and behold, all your sheaves stood round about and were bowing down to my sheep. All of a sudden, these brothers don't like Joseph very much. They really don't like him after his dream. I mean, this isn't helping his case. Verse number eight. And his brother said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers. This guy's just a glutton for punishment. Like, Hey, it didn't go well the first time. You're going to try this again. And he's told his brethren, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to me. Here, stop for a second. The first time, it's just kind of some uh, wheat stalks. Now it's the very stars of the heaven, and then it's the sun and the moon. You need to see a picture here, okay? The sun is at the center of our solar system, where we're at. He's saying, guess what? Hey, the sun, which is at the center, bowed to me. Now, who's at the center? Who's the story all about? Him. Now, whether the dream is a dream for that, that, that God gave him, regardless of that fact, you can see there's a little bit of pride beginning to well up in Joseph's heart here. Like, hey, guess what? All of you that are older than me, hey, even mom and dad, which Jacob represented the sun, the moon represented his, his wives, and so even all of those, you're going to bow down to me. And of course, this isn't going to go over well. In the next verse, we see verse 10, and he told his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow ourselves to you to the earth? And his brethren envied or were jealous of him, but his father observed the same. Let's go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin our, our message. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the morning. I pray right now, as the next few moments that we have together, that you would speak through me. Lord, I don't know all the needs of, of this room, but Lord, I'm just asking that we would be challenged this morning, that we'd look at our lives and we'd ask, what is, what is the story that we're telling? It doesn't necessarily matter what's happened in our past, but what, what are we doing right now? What's going to be said of us 10, 15 years from now about the person that we are today? I pray that we wouldn't just live for the here and now. We wouldn't just live for this moment, but we would understand that there's more to this life. And I pray through this series and studying the life of Joseph that we would be drawn closer to live a life that honors and glorifies you. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. How many of you ever heard of the uh, writer Alexander Dumas? Ever heard of him? He wrote The Three Musketeers. How many of you now that rings a little bit more of a bell? Three Musketeers? Excellent. What may not be as well known is the fact that he ripped off his characters of Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan. He ripped it off from another author. Matter of fact, there's another book that was written a few years prior, and it's called The Memoirs of Monsieur D'Artagnan, written by a completely other author. 
And you would say, well, that's just coincidence, isn't it? Except for the fact that the other author also came up with the uh, villainous cardinal. There was the infamous um, Lady de Winter was in his book. Also, he also had musketeers. And guess what their names were? Porthos, Athos, and Aramis. It later came out that Alexander Dumas had no problem plagiarizing his entire book, and he stole the story from another author, and guess who gets the credit years later? Alexander Dumas still gets the credit, even though he stole the idea, he stole the plot, he stole the manuscript from somebody else entirely. When confronted about his plagiarism, he said this, he said, the man of genius does not steal, he conquers. He incorporates into his own empire the provinces he annexes. He just thought it was okay to steal other people's stories. Here's the thing today. I believe too often that you and I, once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're beginning a great story, a wonderful story. But I believe too far often we see people's stories who are being stolen. You have this life, and you have this purpose, you have this potential. But just like Alexander Dumas stole the other author's story, you have an enemy. You have people that are trying to steal your story. And this morning, I want to look at three things in this passage that we see that are potentially going to steal your story. You have a great story. God's going to use your story. Sometimes we'll have people, and they'll come up into a church, and they'll tell their story about how God radically changed their life, about how he took somebody who may have been homeless, Homeless and now has a, has a family and now his life's on track or may take somebody who has a bad past and we'd hear their story and we could be transformed by it. So we could see there's great power in our story, but we have to protect our story. We have to guard it because there's going to be things that are going to try to steal our story. The first thing that I would like for you to write down is we too often, we let pride steal our story. You say, what do you mean pride steal our story? And I'm not talking about the, that, that gross pride where we just walk around thinking, oh, we're, we're it, we've arrived, we're the best, there's nobody better, kind of Muhammad Ali kind of pride where we're just full of ourselves and we're the greatest ever to be uh, ever invented or anything like that. We're just talking about this subtle pride that just kind of says, it's all about me, that this story is all about me. And that's the one thing I want to put as a caveat when we start talking about your story. You have a story. But you're not the center of your story. Just like you can begin in Genesis and you can go book by book all the way to Revelation. And you can see a scarlet thread just kind of woven through each and every book. And it points to one central character. And that character is Jesus Christ. But too often we look at our story and we start to think that, hey, it's all about me. We start to ask the world around us, and we start to have these expectations of the world. We start to have this expectation of our spouse. We start to have an expectation of, uh, of our business, of our job, and of, of our government, and of our city. We have all these expectations instead of thinking, wait a minute, what are my expectations for, for this? But asking ourselves, wait a minute, what is the world's expectation of me? Not what can I get, but what am I supposed to bring to the table here? And so too often we meet people, and today the word is narcissism. And uh, social media has kind of fed into our, our narcissism just a little bit. It's kind of uh, made it a little bit more uh, open. It's kind of a little bit more out there. But we need to understand that pride is going to try and steal our story. You see, God was going to promote Joseph. But Joseph immediately, as soon as he has the dream, the first thing he wants to do is just tell everybody. 
And then he has another dream. It's like, hey, you guys need to hear, guess what? Hey, it wasn't just one dream. The dream just got a whole lot better. And man, I'm going to tell it to you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time even remembering my dreams. Anybody like that? You have a dream and you're like, I don't even remember it. I just know I dreamed. But this guy, he has a dream. He's got it memorized and he's telling everybody about it. Guess how awesome my dream was. Jane has this thing, and I'm going to pick on her just a little bit, where something bad will happen to her in her dream and she'll wake up the next morning and she'll blame me. I'm saying what? She'll be like, hey, there was a robber. He stole my purse. He was chasing me and you didn't save me. And I was like, well, well, I'm sorry. It wasn't like I can jump into your dream or like, you know, so she just likes to blame me for her dreams and that type of thing. And we have a a good time with it, but maybe that's kind of how you feel. You feel like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to share my dreams and, and, and just kind of keep going from there. But we need to understand we let pride steal our story. Joseph here, he gets kind of full of himself and wants everybody to know it, that they're going to bow down. You see, I need you to understand something. People often will tell you, you're born for greatness. And I'm sorry to tell you this morning at church on April the 3rd, 2016, that you were not born for greatness. Greatness is for God alone. You're born for goodness. And too often we get into our lives and we think it's all about me. And I'm going to be great. And you heard your basketball coach and you heard your teacher say, you could be great and you could be this. The problem is greatness is reserved for God alone. The Bible says, my glory will I not share with another. And we live in a day and age where we're just fostering this spirit of internal pride. So it's all about me. It's all about my needs. So we get into any relationship. Who do we think of first? Ourselves. Why? Because we've been told for so long, it's all about you. And you're going to be great. And you're going to be something. And you're going to do something. And I'm all for motivation. And I'm all for Jim Rohn. And I'm all for Zig Ziglar. And I'm all for John Maxwell. And all for these guys. Hey, whatever it takes to get you motivated. If you've got to stand in front of the mirror and motivate yourself and, and kind of uh, roar at yourself, whatever it takes, that's great. But at the end of the day, I need you to understand, you're not the central figure of your story. It's Jesus. It's all about him. It always has been and it always will be. So the sooner we come to grips with that, the better we'll be. Why? Because that's preventative maintenance against our pride. You see, I'm guilty of something that you may be guilty of. It's I spend a lot of time staring at things that are not God. And when we stare at things that are not God, we're tempted to stare at other things. You see, if we don't stare at God, we will spend our time staring at lesser things. You know what that lesser thing usually is? It's ourselves. We're enamored with ourselves. We love ourselves. We dress it up. We go to the tanning. We go to the gym. We go to all these things. And I'm not against these things. But what happens is we slowly start to kind of just think it's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about what I want. It's all about my needs. And here's Joseph in the story. He's not starting out so great. Especially for one that God is going to use to save his people. He's kind of a young teenager at this age. The Bible says he's 17. And so he's making a few mistakes here. I think too often we kind of jump in and we're just like, well, Joseph's this great character. And don't get me wrong. Joseph is a fantastic character. But you know what I love about a good character? I love the fact that he has to go through a transformation. You and I, we can't really accept a movie where the character is always perfect. That's why probably a lot of you may have been rooting for Batman against Superman. You're just like... He's perfect. If Batman's got flaws, he's got weaknesses. And come on, Superman, I want to see you bleed, man. You know, just, you can't be perfect. And you and I, we get around somebody who is perfect all the time. We're just kind of like, that's eh, a front. Nobody's like that. Nobody can be like that all the time. And so we need to understand that we need to constantly remind ourselves, we need to be staring at the Lord, eyes on him. You see, the beginning of humility is to compare yourselves to God. 
And too often, I think we're guilty of trying to compare ourselves to, hey, did I lift more than that guy at the gym? Hey, do I have a bigger, better figure than that coworker? Hey, can I wear this size? Or do I drive this car? Or did I get this grade? Or did I get accepted into this school? Or did I get invited to this dance by this boy? Or this person? Am I dating this person? And all of a sudden, we get wrapped up in these things that just don't matter, but we just make them our world. Why? Because we're staring at one thing, ourselves. And Joseph had come to a point in his life, all he wants to talk about is himself. The first time we see anything in scripture about Joseph, the first thing he wants to point to is himself. I don't know about you, but maybe you've met a couple people that no matter what they're talking about, they just got to talk about themselves. It doesn't matter what the story could be. You could be talking about how you were fishing on the lake and they'll say, well, I was fishing on the lake and I, I caught a bigger fish than you. And you're like, I was, okay, all right. And the next day you're like, well, I was skydiving. They were like, I skydive without a parachute and I'm better than you. And you're just like, what? But they just got to one up you. No matter what you say, they've got to be a little bit better. And what happens is pride steals our story. Joseph already had the deck stacked against him. The fact that his father obviously loved him more than his other brothers. And then the fact that he gave him this colorful coat, which was, a, which was signifying that, guess what? You don't have to do any work. You don't have to. You're basically royalty in the family. You don't have to do anything. The birthright's going to go to you. Everything's going to go to you. Now the brothers are looking at the older brother and saying, Dad skipped you. That's out of order. You're not supposed to pick the younger one. You're supposed to pick the oldest. But Dad skipped you. And there's this jealousy, this resentment. And what does Joseph do? He only makes it worse. Why? Because he's got to point to himself. Instead of saying, guys, hey, look, I'm sorry. Dad gave me this coat. I'm I'm not going to wear it all the time. But you see Joseph wearing this coat all the time. Matter of fact, even when his dad sends him to go looking for his brothers, he makes sure to bring his little colorful coat. He wants everybody to know, I've got the colorful coat. I've got the coat that make Richard Simmons jealous. Like, this is just what I'm all about. So I need us to understand that pride can seep into our story so easily. You see, the goal of your story needs to be all about God's glory. That's got to be, at the end of the day, what we're thinking about. And I know as soon as I say that statement, you may have grown up hearing that, and you know know that statement, but then you're like, well, how, how does that work? That God gets glory out of my story. Imagine for a moment, Stephen Curry's playing for the, uh, the Warriors and whoever the next team is, unfortunately, they just got beat, but imagine they're playing the next team. And as soon as Stephen Curry gets the ball, he just hands it to a player on the opposite team. You'd be like, Stephen, what, <laughs> what just happened there? He didn't steal the ball. You just handed it to him. And then they just think it's a fluke, right? So the next play, Stephen Curry gets the ball again. He turns around, hands it to another player, and they lay up, they score. And then everybody's looking at Stephen like, what, two times in a row, man? Like, what's going on? The coach calls a timeout and says, Stephen, come over here, come over here. I mean, are you betting against us? I mean, you got money riding on this game that we lose. Are you mad? What's going on? And then every time Stephen Curry handles the ball, he hands it to the other team. Which team is he playing for? Because he's not playing for the Warriors. He may be wearing a Warriors jersey, but he's certainly not playing for the Warriors. What happens is we as Christians too often, we say, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and I love the Lord. And we've kind of got those, those, those Christian clothes, so to speak. But every time we get an opportunity to sin or do something wrong or kind of hand the ball off to the devil, we do. And we're not giving glory to God. So it's very easy for us to slip into this pattern where we're not living for God's glory. We're just living for somebody else's glory, whether it be ourselves or somebody else. So we need to watch pride because pride will steal our story. Notice, secondly, we let people steal our story. 
If you're not familiar with this passage in verse number 18, uh, leading up to the verses, Jacob tells Joseph, hey, I want to check in on your brother. So I'm going to send you out into the field and I need you to go find him. And so in verse number 18, the Bible says, and when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to slay him. This is how much they hated Joseph. Verse number 19, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. We'll see what will become of his story. You see, yeah, pride is a very real danger to stealing your story. But then there are people that will be out there that will try to steal your story. I meet way too many people that do what they do because of people. The clothes you dress, the places you go, the things you wear, the, the music you listen to, the, the crowd you associate with is because of people. And it's not just high schoolers or college students. I see grown adults who will do things that otherwise they normally wouldn't do, all because they're around certain people. And there's people that will try to steal your story. And you and I have to be on guard that there are people, just like Joseph's brothers, who said, let's see what will become of his dreams. We're going to stop him from dreaming. We're going to stop him. And so you and I, we can't be naive. We've got to be careful about who we go with. I was reading a book yesterday. I had a little bit of extra time. And the author's name is Bob Goth. And he was going to hitchhike from San Diego to San Francisco. He says that Santa Barbara, this is back in the 70s, okay? I wouldn't hitchhike now unless you were desperate. And so he's saying how he was in Santa Barbara. And he had been there almost all day. All of a sudden, he's just like, man, the next person that pulls up, I'm going to just jump in the van with this person, or I'm just going to jump in the vehicle with this person. I'm just going to go with him. Well, a guy pulls up, and he just jumps in and doesn't really think about it. And he said, usually I have one rule. I ask, where are they headed, not where I'm headed? Because then I can kind of figure out, you know, kind of size them up, see if I want to go with them. He said, I was so desperate, I just jumped in the vehicle and didn't even think about it. All of a sudden, I get in the vehicle, and he said, man, there was just this weird vibe. He said, not only was the vibe weird, there was this odor. And then he said, there was these weird rose petals all over the dashboard. And then he looked in the van. There's no windows. And he was like, oh, man, what have I done? This, is, this isn't going to be good. So he tells the guy nervously, where are you headed? The guy doesn't say anything. He's like, okay, well, maybe he didn't hear me. So he waited a little bit longer and tried to say it with a more cheery voice. <clears throat> so where are you headed? The guy didn't say anything. He's like, okay. He's like, all right, let me try something else. So what's your name, man? The guy looked at him slowly like an evil villain would turn his head kind of weird. And he looks at him and says, do you really want to know who I am? Bob Goth, as he's telling in the book, he's like, "Uh, yeah. And he said, I'm Satan. And at that moment, he's like, well, 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 uh, how's it going in the underworld? Like, he didn't know what to say. Like, you know, how's business? How's life? I mean, you're now talking to Satan. Like, where's this conversation supposed to go? You know, like, how's your mom? Do you have a mom? Like, you know, I mean, what small talk do you make with the devil? You know? So then the devil, he said, Satan just started to say all this weird stuff. So he said, stop the car right now. And he said, the guy wouldn't stop the car. And he said, look, I don't care if you're Satan, but you're about six inches shorter than me. And I will take Satan down. So Satan better pull over the car. So Satan pulled over the car and he got out. And he said, you know what? It's very important that you and I find out who the person is that we're riding with. It's very important that we know where they're going. Because if you're going to go with them, you might end up at that same place. 
And too often we see people and they go, their lives go straight. Why? Because they're getting in the same car with the wrong crowd. They're getting into situations that they never should have been in. Why? Because of the people they're around. And there are people, if you're not careful, that are trying to steal your story. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of times we make some stupid decisions simply because we were around a crowd that decided to do something really idiotic. And if we would just be more selective about the people we're around, some of the situations you keep getting into trouble with, you could possibly avoid. Now, I know immediately we just want to rip on the teens, but I've seen business people in the business realm who make some dumb decisions. Why? Because they just said, I'm going to sign for it. I'm just going to go on that trip with them. And I'm just going to kind of do it because I want to fit in. And then they end up making a royal mistake. They end up blowing their lives. Why? Because people, you and I need to be on guard about the people that are in our lives. Now, Too often, we want to blame Satan for everything that goes wrong in our life. And I need you to understand something. Satan can read your story, but he cannot write your story. And for you constantly blaming Satan on everything, well, man, this happened. It's probably the devil. He's just out to get me. It could be that you're not making wise decisions. It could be the people you're deciding to hang around. It could be that you need to be more selective about your friends. It could be you need to be more selective about the relationships you have. See, Joseph, he had a pride problem. But Joseph's brothers had a jealousy problem. And the verse in number 11 even says that they envy. They were jealous of Joseph. Here's the problem with jealousy. When you let jealousy into your life, you see others' fortune as your misfortune. They looked at Joseph as he got uh, more love and attention as their father. And they looked at Joseph and they said he's getting the coat. And they saw it as their misfortune. Guess what? Only one brother was supposed to get the coat. It wasn't like all 11 brothers could wear the same coat. It wasn't like, hey, you'll get the coat next week and I'll get it. We'll kind of trade it. No, only one brother was going to get the coat. But yet they look at Joseph having it. And so all of them are upset that he's got the coat. And now they're all ready to kill him over a coat. It's so ridiculous. It's so small. Why? Because they let jealousy develop in their heart. I've met people who they'll also let jealousy. They'll let envy. Can't believe that guy married her. Can't believe he drives that car. Can't believe he has that job. Can't believe God's blessing him. If he only, if God only knew what he does, God does know. God does know what he's doing in blessing somebody and not blessing another person. And too many times we let jealousy creep into our lives. We let jealousy even in the marriage relationship. We get jealous of somebody else. We get jealous of maybe something that happens. Maybe they get something. Maybe they have something. And we need to watch jealousy. We can't look at our lives and say, hey, they're, they're doing better, so that means I'm doing worse. No, they're just doing better. They're just blessed. You see, as soon as we start to compare, immediately we start to compete. Immediately. So why do we do it, church? Why do we fall for the trap? You know, in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 31, speaking about letting people get in the way, the Bible, through the wisdom of Paul, writes this incredible verse. And many of you probably haven't memorized. It's Romans 8, 31. And I'm just going to quote the last half because it says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that an amazing verse? Don't you just love that verse? If you haven't memorized or highlighted that verse, that would be a verse that I would just have somewhere on the dashboard, somewhere memorized. If God be for us, who can be against us? Here's something you need to underline, circle, highlight, draw arrows to, put sticky notes next to that, is that little three-letter word, who. If God be for us, which the Apostle Paul is writing a rhetorical question, God is for you. You don't have to doubt that. He said, if God is for you, Who can be against you? Why do we let people stop our story? If God be for you, who can be against you? No person can stop your story. 
So when you decide to live right, when you decide to do right, when you decide to honor the Lord, when you decide to honor your spouse, when you decide to honor your children, when you decide to get your life right, God is for you. God is going to help you. So no matter what the situation may be, no matter who puts pressure on you to make the wrong decision, whether to drink that, smoke that, go with them, do that, you now have God on your side where you say, hey, I've got the Lord. I've got God. I'm not tempted here. I can overcome this because God is for me. God's in this situation. I don't have to fall for this because nothing could stand against God. And that's what we need to remember in those difficult moments. Not only that, the apostle Paul went on in Galatians 5 verse number 7. He was talking to the church at Galatia and he was saying, hey, you guys, you are running well. Paul loved athletic illustrations. And he says, hey, you are running well. Now they weren't literally running He was talking about the Christian life being like a race. And he said, you guys were doing great. And I love the fact that Paul kind of steps into the metaphor of being a coach. He's like, man, you guys were doing great. And then he says this, who did hinder you? Isn't that amazing? It wasn't that they got tired. It wasn't that they got discouraged. It wasn't that they didn't have enough strength. It was that somebody got to them and they stopped running. You know, I meet a lot of Christians and you ask them, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? How's your relationship with God? And they'll just say, "Uh, I'm not not doing really well. Friday night, Jane and I, we were on Facebook and I'm I'm rarely on Facebook. So if you try to message me, reach out to me on Facebook, it's not me, it's Jane, you know, and uh, somebody else the other day, they were like, well, we know Micaiah wouldn't, well, we know Jane wouldn't post these pictures about it. It'd be Micaiah. And I'm like, no, I don't post pictures. That's not me. It's Jane. She may put my name, but it's not me. It's really her. Okay. So Jane is the most beautiful, wonderful person. And and, and sometimes it's me, but most of the time, you know, it's, it's that. So I'm on there and we see this couple and I was like, that's a great couple. And she was like, yeah. So we started talking about these couples and then led to this conversation about this other person. And she was like, I'm going to look this person up. So we found the person on Facebook, and then she sends a message. Not even five minutes later, the person says, hey, can you give me a call? It's like 9.30 at night. James like, yeah, I'll give him a call. So Jane, for the next 25 minutes, starts talking to this person, reconnecting to someone she hadn't talked to in eight years. And man, they had a, they had a rough story. Left eight years been really rough on them. And then I said, Jane, isn't that amazing that God knew you need to reach out to that person at that time? Because that person said, I, ever since that thing happened, I just walked away from church. I was just kind of done. After the judgment, the shame, I just couldn't go back. And Jane was like, no, go find a new church. Go find somewhere where you can grow and go. And she was like, after the end of the conversation, she was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my life back on track. It was one person who said, I'm going to help this person who changed everything. But it's amazing how we can let people get into our life story and wreck it and wreck our lives and steal the story that God has for us. So this morning, don't let a person stop you from pursuing what you know God has called you to. God has given you a great calling. God has given you maybe a vision or a dream for your life. And some of you, you're about to give up. Why? Because of a person. Don't do that. Don't let a person stop you. I'll, I don't talk about it too much, but Jane and I sometimes get criticized for some things that we do. And so we just kind of roll with it. And I told her this. I said, you know, I'm okay with being different. I'm not afraid of being different. I'm just afraid that I won't make a difference. And I said, what scares me more is that we don't make a difference. What scares me more than anything is that I would go 20, 30 years on this earth and look back and say, what did I do? You know what I mean? What did I do with my life? Did I just exist? 
Did I just work a J-O-B? Did I just kind of uh, pay the bills? Did I just have a decent house? Did I just drive an okay car? Did I just kind of take my kids to this sporting event and that music class? And they kind of went on, got married, had grandkids and just kind of did that. Or did I really live? Or did I write a great story? Because that's what we've got to look towards. And too often we let people get in the way. But not only people, lastly, we let problems steal our story. And this is a huge one. We don't have a lot of time, so let me fill you in. Jacob, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. They throw him into a pit. They take his coat. They dip it in blood. They give it to the father. The father thinks it's Jacob and Joseph is dead. And so then they sell him. Joseph winds up in Egypt. And you would think, in Joseph's mind, put yourself in his shoes for one second. You would think, okay, God, if you had given me a dream that everybody's going to bow down to me, I was closer to accomplishing that dream at home than I am in Egypt. Wouldn't you just naturally assume that? I mean, at home, I've got the coat. I mean, dad's already promoted me. I mean, I'm going to take over the family. So this seems like, like I'm almost there. But now I'm in Egypt. I went from being free to now I've been forgotten. Lord, what happened? I went from being this man. I had it all to being a slave. I went to uh, riches to rags. I went from having servants to being a servant. I went from a dream where people bowed down to me. Now I'm bowing down to some Egyptian. God, what happened? We've done a 180, God. You could see where all of a sudden be really easy for Joseph to get real discouraged by his problems. Where him just say, forget it. If this is what God's going to do to me, it's not worth it. God, I thought we had a thing going. I thought we were going to be together on this. I thought this was your plan. I thought, God, we had a straight line. I thought this was the, this was the trajectory. This is the five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan. And it's not working out. You've put cancer in my life. You've put this rebellious child in my life. You've put this job loss in my life. Lord, you put this foreclosure on this house in my life. And all of a sudden, everything's tipped upside down. You put this death in the family. And Lord, this is not what I signed up for. And we can let problems Steal our story. Would have been easy for Joseph to at that point just given up. Would have been easy at that point to just say, forget it. But I need you to understand something. God has a plan for your life. And you have a part. And just like actors in a play determine how good the play is. A playwright can have an awesome script. I mean, amazing script. He can have an amazing stage. He can have some incredible special effects. I don't know if you go to Broadway's, you go to shows like that, but sometimes you'll go to a show and you're just like, wow, that's incredible. I went to one where it's Mary Poppins. She literally was like flying through the stage on her little umbrella. And it's kind of waved at us up in the mezzanine. We were in the nosebleed sections ducking for airplanes just because I'm cheap. And, uh, you know, she just came sailing up there. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like, wow. Or there was the time when I went and watched Lion King. You see all these, all these cool sets and all these cool costumes. And you're just like, that's incredible. But can I tell you what? Imagine if the actors just decided to kind of, hey, let's go ad lib on this one. It's Lion King. Let's have some fun. You know, let's kind of do whatever. You know, let's throw a little mermaid in this one. It's all Disney. Come on. You know, like, let's just switch it up a little bit. We've been doing this show long enough. Let's have some fun. You know, let's do Pocahontas. That's a cool story. Let's do Frozen. Right in the middle of Circle of Life, you bust out and you start singing Let It Go. Like, let's just go with it. You know, it would ruin the play, wouldn't it? God has a play for your life. He's got a story for your life. And you're the actor. And when you don't follow the script, guess what happens to the story? Messes the story up, doesn't it? See, the script isn't my words, guys. It's not me. 
God gave us all a script. It's called the word of God. But I'm guilty like you're guilty of not looking at the script and going ad lib. And just saying, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do my own thing. Because why? Problems are so distracting. They absorb our time. But I need you to understand something this morning. The story of our lives can, can get derailed by the details. And some of you are letting the details just t- kind of derail your story. And God is doing something great. God didn't pick you on accident. And I love the fact how God picks people. God doesn't pick people like people pick people. I mean, when you were doing your March Madness, maybe you were doing your, your chart and everything, and you were picking these teams, and all of a sudden, Middle Tennessee just messed up your bracket, and you're just kind of like, Middle Tennessee, what in the world? Where did you guys come from? You beat Michigan? This is incredible. I can see I lost most of my audience on that one, but that's all right. Anyway, the March Madness brackets got all messed up because of those two teams, but you need to understand something. That's how we approach life sometimes. We've got a plan, and it gets all messed up by something. But I need you to understand That is the favored son of the father. He looked like, man, I'm almost there. And then God took it all away. And he had to trust the Lord. You see, our lives can get derailed by details. And we've got to be ready for that. Lastly, we don't get to choose our story, but we can choose what the headline says. You don't get to choose the story, but you can choose what the headline says. Your story may be cancer, but you can choose what the headline says. Think about the story of Jesus. It's the story where the hero dies for the villain. Jesus got to decide what the headline was. The story was already written, but he got to decide what the headline said. You get to decide. What will the headline be for your marriage? What will the headline be for your days in high school? How are you going to finish it? You get to decide. What is the headline going to say for my college years? What is the headline going to say for Southridge Baptist Church? What is the headline going to read about your family's legacy? What is the headline going to say? Because you don't always get to pick the story. Some of you may have a handicap. Some of you may be uh, uh, in a broken home. Or some of you, you say, well, I was adopted and I don't know my biological parents. Or I had this thing happen to me. And you didn't get to write the entire story. But you do get to say what the headline is all about. That is up to you. But you know what keeps us from it? It's something that the best way for me to illustrate is with this rope. You see, I think a lot of times you and I, we're focused on our lives. And our lives are a lot like this rope. And I'm just going to kind of throw it over here. And I need you to understand something. This rope needs to represent not our lives, but eternity. And our lives are actually represented by this little part that's red. You see, what happens is eternity is... I was supposed to wrap this rope all the way around the audience. I'm not going to do it. Look kind of weird. Tying people up. But you know what we often are guilty of? Spending all of our time fixated on this. All of our money, all of our days, everything is fixated on this little bit. And we ignore everything else. And we're so focused on what kind of house am I going to have in this? What kind of cars am I going to drive on this? By the way, if you put $1,000 down on a Tesla, you can get one for $27,000. Not a bad deal. Anyway, but so you get fixated on this little bit of the rope. And man, every decision you make, it's all about how am I going to feel? How am I going to look at this part? And you ignore everything else. Doesn't this kind of put things in perspective? 
that our whole lives is 70, 80 years, but then we have all of eternity? So the question needs to be this morning. How are you spending your dollars and your days? The psalmist wisely said, Lord, teach us to apply our hearts unto wisdom so we may know how to live out our days. Help us, Lord. Because we get so focused on this little bit of our story. When God is saying there's so much more out there. And you and I get so wrapped up in the little bit that we have here and now. And I'm hoping over the next several weeks to help us to see the bigger picture. To see the story that our lives can play. To see that we're here for a few years. How are we using that story? What's going to be spoken of us? What's going to be said of us? I want to encourage some of you to step back and maybe say, yeah, what am I doing with my life? Is my life going to be that I just partied every single weekend till I couldn't think or until I passed out? Is that what it's going to be? There was one pastor, he said, man, he partied hard and before he was saved and he would just party, party, party. And uh, one day he said, I just couldn't party anymore and I just kept trying to party. And, uh, you know, God got a hold of my life. I got saved. And he said, you know, I was afraid to tell anybody. And he was like, I was in a sorority that everybody partied. And then the uh, sorority leader came back and the sorority leader and him had a, had a chat. And they both said they, they, they got saved. And they went out and drank to celebrate that they got saved. You know, it's like, yeah, let's party some more. Like, they didn't know. But here's the thing. We get focused on a little bit. So right now, it's time to kind of be judge and jury on our own lives. What's the motive behind the man? What's driving you? Is it to make sure that you have a padded 401k at the end of your life? Make sure you have this great house. I'm all for these things. But sometimes they can become an obsession for us. Our reputation Who knows us? Who doesn't know? I am so concerned that our church not necessarily be known, but that we as a church, we know Jesus. That we just know him. That we just draw close to him. That it doesn't matter how many people. Yeah, we want to reach a lot of people. Yeah, one day, like the Easter egg hunt where we had 2,500 people show up. Yeah, I want to see 2,500 people in church worshiping together. I want to see that day. But ultimately, we've got to structure our lives for this little bit and say, Lord, I want my story to bring you glory. That's why we're here. Everybody, heads bowed, eyes closed, and can we stand?